Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Pain in the Pod. This week I have a fun guest. Her name is Jamie Rice and she's the host of the podcast Murder-ish. She says, if you listen, you're not a murderer, you're just murder-ish, which I think is hilarious. It is not a lighthearted podcast. It's a it's a serious true crime podcast, but she tells an amazing story. She has a great storyteller's voice and I was turned on to Jamie by Tyler of the podcast Minds of Madness. I'd already heard of it, but I kind of did a deep dive after he told me to, and he was right. It was a great recommendation. So have a listen to my chat with Jamie, and I would highly recommend you listen to Murderish. Thanks. Hey, y'all. Today, I'm so excited to have Jamie Rice from the podcast Murderish on. I love the Murderish podcast, and Jamie is a great host. Every other week, Jamie tells one true crime story. She's a very detailed storyteller, so it's easy to bench her podcast. You can just listen to one episode after another after another, and that's sort of what I've found myself doing. So, Jamie, thank you very much for coming on today to talk about Murderish. Thank you, Mary Payne. So nice to sort of meet you. Not in person, I wish, but uh, this is how we this is how we do it in the podcast world. We do. I want to talk about your background. So sure. tell me what is your tr- let's just say your true crime history. So my true crime history is I have no professional, you know, true crime anything. It's really just since I was like a preteen, I've always been fascinated by it. I used to watch, you know, trials on TV with my mom. I used to read books about serial killers. And it wasn't really like a known thing where you would talk about it with your friends because I probably sounded weird. Um, But I've always (laughs) really been into it. And my fascination lies in I want to get inside the mind of a killer. You know, I want to understand the psych, what sets them apart from the average human being um, who really couldn't commit a murder, Most, you know, most of us. So I've been, you know, binging TV shows, reading books on it since I was young. And then I had a really crappy commute here in Los Angeles. I was driving to Beverly Hills every day for work. And it's one of the worst commutes, you know, on earth, I think. And one of my friends was like, do you listen to podcasts? This was like seven years ago. I said, no, it's a podcast. Um, Of course, then I started my deep dive and I started listening to podcasts. I became obsessed. I listened to every true crime podcast there was. And then fast forward a little bit, I got a jury summons. And this was about, call it three years ago, summer of 2017, I want to say, I don't know. Got a jury summons here in LA. It was for a first degree murder trial. Turns out. Ooh, exciting. Very exciting for me. I mean, uh, yeah, it was a roller coaster ride for sure. But when I got the summons, of course, you don't know what it's about until you get there. And then, of course, I got chosen. I ended up being the jury foreman. It was a two-week first degree murder trial uh, for a murder that actually happened here where I live in Santa Clarita. And uh, long story short, I really wanted to tell that story, and I love to talk about true crime. So I was already podcast obsessed, and I thought, you know what, let me just try this podcasting thing. And I went to the school of YouTube, taught myself how to podcast, (laughs) and that was really my first episode was the Arvizu murder, the one where I sat on the trial. And before I started my podcast, Heather McDonald, I used to listen to her podcast, Juicy Scoop. Great podcast. Yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. Great show. And I was in her Facebook fan group, and I had mentioned, hey, you guys, I just got off of a trial. I was a juror. It was crazy. Heather messaged me and said, hey, would you want to be on my podcast to tell us about this trial? Because Heather's got a fascination with true crime, and so do a lot of her listeners. Yeah. So I was a guest on her podcast, told the story there, and then a couple months later, I launched my own podcast. And that's my background. That's that. Here I am, two and a half years later, into Murderish, and still telling true crime stories. 
That's a great story because, you know, a lot of people could have the exact same story. Like, I just love true crime and I just decided I wanted to talk about it. And then that's generally it's going to flop. Sure. I mean, you know, because there's so many, but it's it's amazing how you've done it because your your podcast is, you know, well-known and well-liked. And I knew about Murderish already. It's in my feed. Mm-hmm. But when I talked with Tyler from the Minds of Madness and he was telling me all about, well, I'm always obsessed with CrimeCon because I've never been. Yeah. And he said that you were his wrangler at CrimeCon. <laughs> I, <laughs> I keep him on a on a leash, so to speak, because that guy, you know, he sees a shiny thing and he wants to go after it. And I'm like, no, no, no. We got to stay at our table. We got people coming to meet you. That's what he said. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, um, oh, yeah. He goes, listen, if you come to CrimeCon, I'll take you around. I'll introduce you to everybody. And then he goes, oh, no, Jamie won't let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll let him do it one time if it's for you. But other than that, I'm very strict. No. <laughs> That is so funny. Well, I think that is is fascinating that that's how you got into it. I heard uh, Conan O'Brien say on My Favorite Murder, they were interviewing him or he was interviewing them about cross a podcast. And he was saying that even when he was head writer on SNL, he would go over to the New York City courthouse and sit in on murder trials. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and, and you think like, okay, it's not just me. Like, I'm not the only weirdo that's, yep. that wants to hear these stories. So it's amazing how you did that, but I'm so interested in you sitting on this murder trial because I've been called to jury duty before, and it was a case where a person had sold somebody a gun, and that gun was later used uh, in like a couple of murders. So it was the guy who sold the gun was was it was his case, okay. and they were trying to you know defend him like oh he didn't know and this that and the other. It was great because they had all this audio that they played about him talking to the cops and lying. And so I was like, true crime adjacent. But then I also got really scared because I was like, what if somebody comes and jumps me in the parking lot later? <laughs> right. It makes you paranoid. It makes you real paranoid. Yeah, and so, it does. so tell my listeners just a little bit, a, a brief summary about that tri- that trial you were on, because I know you did cover it on your podcast. Yeah, I did. So in 2015, a woman named Courtney, mid-20s, she meets a guy named Rob Arvizu, and they quickly start dating. Three months into the relationship, they take a drive out to Vegas for work, and on a whim, they decide to get married. Hey, let's go to the you know, whatever, you get married in Vegas. Yeah. And uh, long story short, Rob ended up beating Courtney pretty badly that night in their hotel room, so bad that the cops were called, pictures were taken, a report was taken. He liked to strangle uh, her and also past girlfriends who also testified at trial. Um, He beat her up pretty bad on their wedding night. They stayed together. Two months later, in May of 2015, Rob and Courtney go to a house party at Rob's best friend's house to celebrate a birthday. It's in Northridge. They get into a huge argument, and Rob's lunging at her, and it becomes very volatile. Long story short, Courtney leaves on foot. She leaves the house party. Her cell phone and her keys are with her husband, Rob. She just leaves, and nobody knows where she goes. Well, Rob is still at the party, but he's so heated, and it's just such an awkward situation that his best friend actually drives Rob home. Uh, On their way home in the car on the freeway, Rob starts assaulting his best friend. And I mean like strangling him, punching him in the car. It's a very dangerous situation. So they make it back to Santa Clarita. Uh, His best friend drops Rob off, basically kicks him out of the car because he assaulted him a second time. And he's like, dude, you're out of control. Get out of my car. Drops him off in Santa Clarita, close-ish to him and Courtney's apartment. 
Best friend drives back to the house party, which was at his house in Northridge. Uh, Courtney's still nowhere to be found. Now it's nightfall. Now it's nighttime. Courtney's mother becomes worried a certain, at a certain point because she hasn't heard from Courtney and there's some things that happen in between. Courtney's mom reach at, reaches out to Rob on phone, says, where's my daughter? Like, I'm worried about her. Rob tells her, we got into a huge fight. She's out in the San Fernando Valley somewhere. I can't find her. So the mom is worried. She's kind of on high alert. I'm sure her mom's senses were just going crazy. Just, you know, moms can feel things. Mom mm-hmm. know, Moms know like, hey, my child's in trouble right now. So um, I'm trying to fast forward a bit. So Courtney, somehow she makes it back to uh, her apartment complex where she and Rob shared an apartment. And this is about 10 o'clock at night, 930 at night. And we don't know how she got back. We think she hitched a ride or was able to get a hold of somebody to take her home. Regardless, she goes to the landlord's apartment. The landlord lives in the same apartment as she and Rob, apartment complex. Knocks on his door because she doesn't have her keys or her phone. She can't get into her own apartment. Knocks on his door. He opens the door. He reported at trial that it was very clear she had been crying. Mascara is running down her face. She's honest with him and just says, you know, me and Rob got into a huge fight. I just want to get into our apartment. I want to gather some things, and I'm going to spend the night at my mom's house. Her mom lived directly across the street, walking distance from her apartment. Landlord says, okay, but by law, I can't let you in the apartment unless I call Rob because Rob's name was the only one on the lease. She had moved, yes. And this is where it's like one of those tragic events that had it gone down differently, had the landlord not called Rob, she may have lived. You know what I mean? Because. Because the landlord calls Rob, Rob answers the phone, and Rob's at a bar, a local bar, and he and he says, hey, Rob, this is so-and-so. I've got Courtney here. Do you give me permission to let her in the apartment? She wants to get her things. Rob says, yes, let her in. I'll be right there. So a landlord grabs the keys, lets Courtney into her apartment. She grabs her little dog. She grabs her little overnight bag. She's getting ready to leave. Lo and behold, of course, now Rob knows that she's home. Rob's still very angry with her and wants to get his hands on her. And Rob comes screeching into the apartment complex, runs upstairs to their apartment, and Courtney hears him pull up. Courtney walks out of the apartment. A witness saw her. She has her dog in her in her arms, and she comes out, and she says, Rob, give me my – I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, but she says, Rob, sure. Rob, give me my fucking keys. I'm leaving. Rob goes upstairs, and literally within about that time, a few minutes later, um, she's dead. And what happened was he goes up to the apartment. He beats her up severely. And when they showed the picture, I mean, her face was disfigured. He beat her up so bad. Blood everywhere. We think he rendered her unconscious. And when he punched her or struck her in the head, she fell, hit the floor. Her face is face down in the carpet. And she's, we believe, unconscious. But where he killed her was he either got on top of her back or used his hands to put so much pressure on the back of her head that she could no longer breathe. He cut off her airway. He basically smothered her to death. And there was a witness who testified, a medical witness, that says, you know, it would take somebody about 30 seconds to be rendered unconscious from loss of breath. Uh, and it would take up anywhere from a minute to three minutes to actually kill somebody by putting that amount of pressure on their head. So that's where we got first-degree murder. We did convict him of first-degree murder because he didn't have to get on top of her and put that pressure on her. He had beat her up so badly. He rendered her unconscious. He chose to end her life. And and one to three minutes 
is a long time to keep that yeah. amount of pressure, right? So it's Ooh. he knew what he was doing. He wanted her dead. He killed her. And there was some events, you know, think some things that happened afterward. But that's basically the crux of the case. And he was sentenced. We didn't have any uh, say in the sentencing, but he ended up being sentenced to 28 years to life in prison. And do you know if it's one of these things where he'll only serve 10 or anything like that? You know what? I I don't know how it all works. I think I did some research on it afterward, but I have the worst memory. I believe there's probably a chance that he could get out sooner than the 28 years, maybe with good behavior, but don't quote me on that. Right. I I believe he deserved a longer sentence. Uh, yeah. He, his girlfriends, past girlfriends testified too, and he he beat them up and strangled them within an inch of their lives as well. This is a pattern. And, you know, I'm a strong believer in that sad, sad as it is, if Rob did not kill Courtney, then he would have killed her later. He, he was on a mission. He was that kind of guy. Um, he was very violent. And unfortunately, that was the night that it happened. Wow. So, so you find yourself on this jury. Right. And- from the one that I did, you know, there was like the the alpha person in the room and then there was the other person in the room that was like, you know, contrary, no matter what, like we'd be like, okay, like we wrap up. It's so obvious this guy sold this guy this gun. Like, I mean, we have all like records of his name signed on the thing that he mm-hmm. bought the gun and then gave it to this guy, you know, and he was like, well, I really mm-hmm. want to see this other document. This one person were like, come on, yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So when you were on this trial, did you have a lot of those personalities and how long were you in the room with the people? How long yes. was the trial? Yeah. The trial lasted two weeks and one day. Uh, we deliberated for two full days or maybe a day and a half, but yes, we had one guy who we all agreed it was some level of murder. We all knew it was at least second-degree murder. Where we took an extra day was to decide, is this first-degree or Mm second-degree? And he was struggling. So as far as alphas and things like that, yeah, there were were a few alphas. And it was interesting because I would say I'm one of those alphas. I definitely am like a – I'll speak my mind. uh, I'll give an opinion. I will – whatever. So – Alphas tended to stay on one side of the jury table for the two days, oh. and the quiet people stayed on the other side. It was we were totally split in half. It was crazy, but um, there was one gentleman who just kept saying, "Look, I know it's murder. I know he's a bad guy, but you know the defendant, his attorney claimed, well, my client was so." angry because Courtney had cheated on him. Now, Rob had claimed that Courtney cheated on him, but he said that all of his girlfriends cheated on him. And Mm -hmm. he used that as an excuse to beat them all up. And there was no evidence that she cheated. And whether she did or didn't does not matter at all. And he he did not walk in on her on anything. You know, he got angry at a party over something, called her a whore. He was, you know, whatever. This particular juror could not get over that Look, he was angry. It was the heat of the moment. He was amped up because he thought she cheated and he just snapped. But where we kept going back to him was, but Rob Arvizu does not get to set the, he doesn't get to set the tone for, for, you know, okay, it's okay. He snapped. Let's give him a second degree murder instead of first because he just happened to be angry. No, no, no. The average human being, I believe, is not going to go then murder his wife because he's angry at a party. That's Rob's behavior. He's different from most people. We don't let to get, we don't, we don't let, we don't want to let him off and let him, let Rob, just because Rob happens to react that way. 
You know, we're not going to go, oh, okay, well, let's let him off because he just snapped. Um, That's not fair. He didn't walk in on anything. It was not a crime of passion. So anyway, the juror did come around and he says, no, you guys are right. You guys are right. Uh, He chose to kill or this and that. But Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And, you know, all the stuff you hear about the OJ trial and all of them being together and how by the end they're just like, let's go, you know, and I think a lot of that plays into it. Um, And I, I think it's, as far as your podcast goes, I think it's it was a really cool way for you to start your podcast and it probably got a lot of people sucked right in because you have this real life true crime jury trial experience. It did. And and I was a little bit afraid because then I was like, oh shoot. Okay. So now I've put out this episode. It's a firsthand account of me taking you behind the scenes for this true crime. And I'm giving you every single detail because I was in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, shoot, I can never replicate this. <laughs> you know, I can't sit on 20 million juries until 20 million stories. So I was a little worried because after that, it's more of I'm choosing cases and I don't have an inside view. Sometimes I have somewhat of an inside view because I will interview somebody who was on the inside, whether it was a juror, homicide detective, what have you. But it ended up working out. And yes, a lot of people got interested from the get-go because they liked the first-hand account. And and yeah. I'm lucky enough that the podcast has grown from there and enough people seem to still like it, you know, even though I'm not on the jury every single time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll sure. be right back with Jamie from Murderish. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. Okay, I'm back with Jamie Rice of the podcast Murderish, and we were just talking about how Jamie started her podcast, which was her love of true crime, which a lot of us have, but she actually got to serve on a jury uh, of someone who committed murder, so that's fascinating, also a little scary. So after that, how did you decide, like, okay, I got episode one done, and like you said, oh, shoot, now now what am I going to do? So how did how do you pick the cases you're going to cover after that one going forward? Now it's been a couple of years. How are you picking them? Yeah, so in the beginning, it was truly by the seat of my pants. And there's one other firsthand account story that I tell on the podcast called Stranger in My Bedroom about something kind of creepy. That, yeah, it's something creepy that happened to me when I was a teenager. Obviously, it didn't end in murder, thank goodness. But, you know, I was really just like flying by the seat of my pants in the beginning, like, oh, shoot, let me choose this case. But how I chose in the beginning was all these cases that I had heard about as a preteen, teenager, young adult that I was always interested in learning more and only knew like surface level details. So they tended to be a lot of Southern California cases because that's where I'm from. Those are the cases I was familiar with. So I have a lot of Southern California cases, especially in the beginning of my podcast. After that and today... I have a Google list, a Google sheet that um, I get Facebook messages from listeners of the show, Instagram messages, uh, emails of people just saying, hey, I know about this case, you should cover it. And they'll give me a little bit of details. And I will, I always try to pull from that list first, uh, you know, listeners submitted cases. Um, But every now and then, you know, I will learn of a case and go, no, I really want to cover this case. And it's truly just because 
I want to know more, or I think that this particular case might need some attention. Maybe it's an unsolved case. Maybe it's a case that really touched my heart uh, that I just want to bring awareness and have people know the victim's name. It's sort of random, but it's mostly listener-submitted cases. Well, it's, it's, you put out an episode every other week, so it's got to take you a solid week, week and a half, I'm sure, to oh, do all the research because you're not just like sitting at home doing this eight hours a day. You, you've not got at other all. things going on. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have three full-time jobs. My husband and I own uh, a business and we work together full-time and that's, you know, our bread and butter. And then I have three children and that is a very full-time job. And then I yes. have the podcast, which I do nowadays, I do treat it like a business and it's it's been great and I love doing it, but I try to juggle everything. So yeah, I mean, from start to finish, from when I identify a case to researching it, to writing a script, to recording, to sending it to my producer to be edited, and then I have to do the social media marketing of it, yada, yada, yada. You know, yeah, it's, it's about a two-week process for every case. And luckily, I have a little tiny team that I work with. Um, I have hired two researchers. So I have one um, who I've been working with uh, for a little over a year, and he just started out as a listener of the show. He and I connected, and he's awesome. And his name is Steve. He lives in Chicago. And so uh, I have him and I have one other researcher named Gina and she's awesome. And I found her in a Facebook group out here where I live. And she and I also have never met to this day and I've never met Steve, but I feel like I know them because we communicate so much. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome. And, And I almost feel like with everything I have going on, I may not even be able to continue with the podcast without these researchers. So they are a great help. They submit an outline of research and I'll go do some additional research on the case of my own and I will write a script and I record it. And I still research some of my own pet cases. Um, I'll take on a case still and research it and do it from start to finish. But um, I'm getting help these days uh, with the podcast and it's awesome. Well, Okay, so you do, you mentioned you have three kids. I have kids too. And so some of the stories that you tell are kind of, not kind of, they're very dark and they involve oh, yeah. children. And so recently you had the episode about the little girl whose dad pushed her off a cliff oh, to avoid yes. having to pay more child support. Yes. I mean, horrible. And then you also had the story that I just listened to recently. I was, I was uh, zipping through your episodes and the one with the mom that drowned her daughter yeah, because her daughter had ADHD and was super annoying, and so the way that she was punishing her, then she ended up drowning her. Mm-hmm. So, as a mom or just as a human, how can you tell these stories? I mean, it has to just really stick with you. It does, and there. I mean, I talk about this one case all the time, the Gabriel Fernandez case. That was a case that I've known about for years. It actually happened pretty close to where I live, but it's so gut-wrenching and so disgusting and what his parents did and so awful and dark that for years it would come on the news and I would just have to change the channel selfishly because I could not hear it. I just was not ready to take in what happened to him because it's the absolute worst case I have ever heard of. I still don't understand his parents were absolutely subhuman. I mean, they're, they're not normal human beings. They're subhuman what they did to him. But yes, Those cases definitely stick with me. They're very, very emotional as you go through them. A lot of tears, a lot of um, conversations with my husband to get out, you know, the details that I've learned as we research it. Yeah, those cases, of course. I mean, those, just like 
and everybody's, I feel like this, but it's very hard to hear about children being harmed and of course mm-hmm. animals as well, because we see them both obviously as very innocent beings. And so it's very hard to hear about the tragic things that happen to them. And so those cases absolutely stick with me. Well, that was going to be my next question was, could you tell me about a case that really has stuck with you? And it is this little boy, Gabriel, I guess. It's absolutely hands down Gabriel Fernandez. I'll never forget him. And I've said this plenty of times before, but, you know, as weird as it sounds, this case, it does something to me. Like I'll be driving in the middle of the day and I'll just have random daydreams, almost as if like he's alive and like I see him somewhere and I'm able to snatch him from his mom's car put him in my car and show him the love that he deserves and raise him as my own and basically save him and show him a better life. I mean, it sounds totally out of touch with reality, but like I think those things about Gabriel because I wish, you know, almost like a movie, I wish somebody could have just snatched him from his mom in a grocery store and saved him from what was going to happen to him. So yeah, that's a, it's, it's a, really dark case. And to this day, some of my most loyal listeners will not listen to it. And I totally understand. Okay. Well, I don't know what it is. And now I'm not going to listen to it. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's that's it, whatever it is, it sounds t- too tragic for me to listen to. It is. It, it's, it's awful. I asked Tyler the same thing uh, when I talked to him because he does a lot of his podcast seems to be similar in the way you're describing it is like you're saying you're trying to get inside the mind of a killer Mm -hmm. and his is more like, why would somebody just seemingly normally go along and do something so crazy? Right. Whereas I think that the case that you were on when you're on the jury trial seems like, okay, well, 10 years ago, somebody gets seen this guy snapping, you know? Yeah. If you have to cover these cases for your podcast about somebody doing something horrible to anybody, but it's so much worse if it's a child, especially your own child. Mm-hmm. And I think that those of you that tell those stories and you really, really take a lot of pains to honor the person that was lost, you know, and take a lot of pains to say, especially the one that you told about the little girl that was pushed off the cliff. Mm. You told so much about her. Oh, she was a shy little girl. She liked mm-hmm. this. She liked that, you know, to make it, to show her personality. Right. Right. And, yes. and I, as a listener, I always appreciate that so much too, because I want to know about that person. And I, I also want to know the story, you know? Yeah. 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 No, thank you for saying that. And I, I, yeah, going back to Tyler, Minds of Madness, they really do a great job of focusing on the victim, telling you all about the victim, because obviously that's of the most importance. And I absolutely try to do the same thing on my podcast. I try to tell you who they were because it's so, I don't want to say easy, but it's, it's so easy when you're just listening to a story and you have nothing to do with it. This is not your family member who died to just go, oh, it was a, five-year-old girl who died. Of course, your heart breaks for them. But until you paint a picture that this was a living, breathing human being who had a personality, who had a spot in this world and made made a difference in people's lives with their personalities and it was cut short, I just want to paint as vividly as I can who these people are because that's the real purpose of telling their stories. They're gone. Their case is solved for the most part. So it's not like I'm helping to solve a case, but I just want people to know this person existed. Here's their name. Here's what they were like, according to everything that I've researched. They had a personality. This is how they made people laugh. I do try to do that in every episode because I think 
I would want somebody to do that if if I died or if, if, if one of my family members, God forbid, something ever happened. You know, you just want people to remember who they were. Yeah. 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 Okay. On that note, we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, I'm back with Jamie Rice from the Murder-ish podcast. Now, Jamie, tell my listeners, what is the what is your uh, tagline there for your <laughs> podcast? Because it's funny. Right, yeah. So um, it's basically what I say, you know, at the end of every episode is, you know, listeners of this podcast are not murderers. We're just murder-ish. And it really <laughs> just means it's a lighthearted way to say, look, we're all – into true crime and not in a way that I want to see people murdered. I, it's, it's really... Of course. It happens. I can't, you know, I, I just want to know why it happens. Tell the stories of these victims. But I'm not a murderer. I'm just murder-ish. You know, I'm right. like, you know, I just want to listen to these stories. I want to learn about these stories. So a lot of my listeners, we call ourselves ishers. Uh, yeah, it's just, a, I don't know, it's a, a way to describe that, you know, a true crime junkie, I guess. Yeah, and it's funny. It's I was making notes, and I wanted to make a note about that. And I thought it's just like how with my favorite murder, they're the murderinos. Yeah, you know, and, yes. and whenever you say that, anybody that likes true crime knows what a murderino is. But it sounds yep. <laughs> sounds ridiculous <laughs> to people that don't. I'm like, no, no, I'm a, I have a yeah, I have a shirt, you know, murderino. My husband's like, are you going to wear that to the store? I'm like, yes, yeah. I am. I know. Who cares? I, wear, I wear my stuff too, and some people, I, I get like weird looks. I'm like, oh well, I embrace it. You're like, if I was a murderer, I wouldn't have murder-ish just right on my shirt. There's an ish on the end. Clearly, I'm not a murderer. That's like, come on, people. <laughs> it's funny. So this is like a total sidebar, but um, we were talking about this before because I was looking at your website, which is great, and your bio, and it says that, you know, in your spare time when you're not researching murder, you like Bravo and HGTV, which are my two favorite things of all time. Oh, yeah. Which... I, I really am trying to figure this out. And, you know, if I was um, trying to get like a, a PhD in true crime, this is what I would write my thesis on. I feel like a lot of people who like reality TV, like yes. Bravo, HGTV, also really like true crime. 100%. And I have said the same thing. I think I, yes, I, I was talking to Josh Mankiewicz from Dateline. He was on mm. my podcast and we had a conversation about this. We were trying to say like, why is this such a thing with women, and I think I I remember saying just like you picked up on there is something about like women are curious creatures. This is my theory, anyway. Okay. We're curious, and when somebody breaks up, I don't want to know that they. I mean, okay, yeah, they broke up, but why? What happened? Right. So, and I like to see how other people live, which is why I watch reality TV. I want to see when they wake up in the morning, what do they do? You know, what do they? Where do they go to eat? How do they interact with their friends? Oh, they have relationship issues. Well. 
What are those relationship issues? And it's not that I feed off of it. It's just interesting to me. But I think it's sort of the same thing with true crime. This is a real thing that happened. You want to know why. And I think it's all sort of related in some way. Yeah, I have been trying to figure it out. Like, what is it? Because, like I said, I, I do another podcast, and she has, you know, so she has a podcast, and then we do a podcast, and then she has a Patreon. I have a Patreon, you know, all all these different iterations. But on her Patreon, a lot she covers uh, true crime documentaries, and like you were saying, Heather McDonald, she on her Patreon a lot covers true crime with her sister, who's an yes. attorney, and. One of these days, I'm going to like get that. It's going to be one sentence, and I'm going to get what it is, and I'm going yes. to make that connection. And I guess it is about the knowing the true story. Like if somebody at a party tells you, like, "Oh God, you won't believe my my uncle and aunt are getting divorced, and you won't believe what she did. She was nuts." And you're like, "Come over here, and yeah. tell me everything." Hold on, let me get my tea. <laughs> tell me everything. Tell me every detail. Yes. Yeah. So, and I guess that's a little bit of the same. It's like a true crime. You want to know. The background of these people, what happened, what pushed them to this point, what's the aftermath, is yes. this person in jail, are the family still talking to this person? Yes. And I guess it's all along the same vein. Like I told you, I love the show Love After Lockup. And oh, yeah. It's a similar <laughs> idea. It's like this person got out of jail. But on a switcheroo of that, I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast Ear Hustle. Yes, one of my faves. Uh, okay. On Ear Hustle, what is so interesting is they never – it's a podcast that comes out of San Quentin Prison right. done by Nigel Poor, who's a photographer, and then the prisoners. And to me, they never tell you what the person has done. Right. They just say, he's in here for a, a, a charge. He's in here for 25 years. They never say what. Now, yeah. some of the people that have gotten out, they have – after they've gotten out, told their story of what they right. did. Right, right. And I think that is such a fascinating way to go about it because you're hearing their story of what's happening in prison yes. without prejudging what they did before. Yes. And that's a story in itself. I mean, that that's still interesting to me. It doesn't have to, you know, look, yeah, I would love to know what landed them in there, what happened. Of course, I'm curious. But I am very fascinated, just like reality TV. Like when I'm watching The Housewives, I mean, you see these prisoners, they have a life in prison and there's this whole culture in prison and a you know what I mean these these groups and the way they do things and do's and don'ts and yeah you know disrespect this I don't know I have never been in prison thank god but you know it's very interesting to hear that story and I think it's so cool that Ear Hustle decided to go that route cuz it's very easy you know there's a lot of true crime podcasts out there to tell mm -hmm. the story of the armed robbery or the murder that this prisoner committed but how about his story in prison, which is, I think, equally fascinating. I do too. And I wonder if it's, and I've, I've tried to get them on, I'll, I'll make another plea. I wonder if it's a conscious decision, like we're never going to tell what they did, or they don't want to say anything to incriminate themselves, you know, because maybe all along yeah. they've said they're innocent, and so they're not going to tell the story, or maybe they are innocent, or, you know. Right. So I, I think that's such a cool slant on it as well. And I feel like that Ear hustle, I sort of put in the true crime genre, even yeah. though there's no crime involved. But it's They're, different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, that's, God, uh, that's such a great show. Love that show. I do too. Yeah. So since we're talking about podcasts, what podcast would you recommend or what are you listening to right now? Yeah. So I love Minds of Madness. You know, that is yeah. that is a true 
Tyler has an amazing voice. Um, he, he, he does have an amazing a voice. Great, yeah, great storyteller. So yeah, Minds of Madness, very well produced. Criminology is a great show. They have a couple of seasons that are deep dives into cases like the Zodiac and also the Golden State Killer. But they also now have those one-off cases kind of like mine where every episode it's a different case and they do a great job. My buddies, uh, Morph and, and Mike Ferguson. And then there's Murderous Miners. Uh, my friend Warbaby, she's the host of that show. Murderous Miners is just like the name says, you know, she covers cases, uh, child murderers, all the way up to age of 18. So they, these, these minors. Child murderers, not murdering children, but children that are Children murdering other people. Oh my gosh. That sounds amazing. It's a great show. And um, yeah, some people are like, oh God, I can't listen to that. But it's fascinating. I mean, there, you know, what's fascinating about that is, you know, these, I believe, you know, your brain is not fully formed, you know, right. so I don't know. There's just so many different elements. So she does a great job. That's Murderous Miners. So I love deep dive true crime podcasts. So, you know, I want to hear 10 episodes on the same case. So, yeah. of course, I loved Serial. Of course, S-Town uh, yeah. is not necessarily true crime. You think it's true crime when you start and it turns into something what I think was a much more beautiful story, even though very, very tragic. Accused is such a great show. Um, Cold was excellent, but dark, tragic. Gosh, I'm 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 missing twenty million. Uh, but I I like the deep dives. But I also love how I built this with Guy Raz. That's actually one of my favorite podcasts, and it's not true crime at all. Right. Well, you know, I, I think that when I talk to true crime podcasters, I'm always expecting them to give me like. Uh, comedic or sports or whatever, but true crime podcasters tend to give me ninety percent true crime podcasts. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, and then a We're, few, a few on the lighter side. Well, yeah, and as uh, mostly, I'm listening because that is what I'm interested in, you know. But it's what fascinates me. But I also listen to see how they put their show together. It's interesting mm-hmm. to me, you know, to listen to another podcasters take on how to tell a story, how they like to sound engineer, how they like to thread music in and out, how they, I love, and I learn from these podcasters. I have learned from the Minds of Madness. I have learned from so many other podcasts to sort of implement certain things that they do, but also do things in my own way. Um, and I'll be the first to admit, I learn from these, these people and I learned what to do and what not to do as well, you know, in, yes. in certain podcasts. But yeah, I mean, I listen to a lot of true crime, but when I want to, when I want a palate cleanser, I am such a geek. I love listening to like uh, nutrition podcasts, oh. uh, which is very geeky. I love listening <laughs> to skincare and beauty podcasts. I love listening to, I love how I built this with Guy Raz because it's like Joe Schmo, you know, built a business out of his garage eating Top Ramen every day. Now he's a billionaire. I think that's so cool and interesting. Yeah. Now, beauty and skincare, I, I can't get into a podcast about because I, I, I'm more visual. Like I need to, I like to watch the uh, YouTubes or like the, yeah. as the kids say, the TikToks of, uh, of things yeah. that people do on their faces. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's difficult. It takes a really good host or somebody that's really uh, very well uh, educated and knowledgeable on skincare for me to really listen and go, yeah, this is information that I am receiving, you know, but there's some mm. podcasts I listen to and I'm like, oh, so like bored to tears, you know. That is funny. Yeah. I, you know, it's like I told my mom when I was first doing this and she couldn't wrap her brain around what a podcast is and stuff. I was like, mom, there's a podcast about everything. I go like, my mom likes to play bridge. I go, I bet you there's 
hundred podcasts about playing bridge. And she's like, why would I listen to a podcast about playing bridge? But I think she's found a couple that she liked. You learn well, a new yeah. technique or, yeah. or something. You know, I, I follow the keto diet and I've been doing that for almost a year and I learned how to eat keto from podcasts. So I learned so much. I listened in the early days, I listened to podcasts on how to podcast, you know? so Yes, there's a lot of podcasts about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much. Um, oh, another great podcast is called Catch and Kill with Ronan Farrow. Oh, yeah. Did you read his book? Uh, no, but I'm about to. Okay. Somebody asked me the other day because they were asking for book recommendations and I said, you should get Catch and Kill by Ronan mm. Farrow. And they said, well, I listened to the podcast. I said, believe it or not, there's so much information that it's totally different. The right. book and the podcast are completely different, mm. which I is amazing wait. that he has so much wealth of information that he can Ugh. put out a whole podcast that is not even repetitive from the book. I love that. Oh, I can't wait to read his book. I love, I can't get enough of that podcast. It's just, there are so many great, I mean, I get excited. I get, I can geek out on podcasts because I love, like today I was on a uh, project because, you know, my husband and I, we have a landscape design and construction company. Mm -hmm. So we make over people's outdoor spaces. And I was on a project today with my foreman and he's like, oh, I saw you have a podcast. What is that? (laughs) So I'm so excited because I literally had him download a podcast listening app, you know, a podcatcher app. And I said, this is how you do it. Subscribe to these five podcasts. This will set you out. This is your starter pack. And I'm so excited because I feel like I know he's going to get addicted. And now I've got one more podcast listener in the world (laughs) who's going to spread the word of podcasts. (laughs) That happens to me sometimes too. One of my mom's friends will like hand me their phone, like show me how to do it. And I'll be like, the only podcast they subscribe to is mine. I'm like, one more. Yeah, download for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She'll probably never listen to it, but she, you know, they'll hand it to me. Like I, I don't can. have that thing on my phone with the podcast. I'm like, you do. You actually do. You yeah. don't have a choice. You can't delete it. Let me show you. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's so funny. Well, listen, I appreciate you joining me today. I, I have loved Murderish for a while, and I was glad that when I talked to Tyler, he mentioned it, which sort of sparked me to get in touch with you. So tell my listeners where they can find out more about you, Jamie, and also Murderish. Yeah. So um, you can go on my website. It's murderish.com. You can actually even listen to the podcast there if you want. You can see some photos. You get a little bio on me. So that's a great place to go. But you can also find me on Twitter at MurderishPod, Instagram at MurderishPodcast. And my favorite is I have a Facebook discussion group, which is like my besties. Like I, my favorite listeners are in there and we talk about everything from crime to beauty to talking trash on each other, like fun, you know, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just go to Facebook, search murderish podcast, you know, you'll find it and just hit join, answer a couple questions. And we have so much fun in there. Sorry. You can listen to my show anywhere. Please join. We have so much fun. I love a fun Facebook group. Yes. We are very fun. Are the questions hard to get in? Girl, I ask you, uh, I think I ask you like, how'd you hear about the show? And then I say, you promise you're not a murderer, just murder-ish. Okay. All right. Well, those, those, those I can answer. Those yeah. As long answer. as you're not a murderer, you're, you're in. Okay. As far as I know, I'm not. Okay. Good. Good. As far as you know. As far as I know. As far as you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Jamie, thank you so much. And I recommend everybody listen to Murderish. It's a, it's an amazing, a true crime podcast. And Jamie has a great storytelling voice and, it's a it's very bingeable as well if you got a long uh, car trip coming up. All right, thanks Jamie. Thank you Mary Payne. I appreciate it so much.